1: Travel and tourism is a huge, multi-billion dollar global industry, and like everything else, it's being affected by technology. Uh, Today on Fort Knox, I sit down with the top guy at one of the top companies in that space, Arnold Donald, is the CEO of Carnival Corporation. Cruising uh, is big these days, and I want to talk about that, about the industry, and talk about your background. You have... Just a fascinating background that I think holds a lot of lessons for people who are trying to make it to their ultimate spot in their career. Uh, So so I wanna have all that conversation. But starting out, tell me about the company right now and what's the hottest area for, for, for you guys? The area where you spend the most time trying to figure out how to compete and be on top.
0: Well, you know first of all John's always good to be with you and thank you for sharing this time with me so you know for us it's always about the same thing it's always about the people I have 120,000 passionate dedicated employees from 140 plus countries around the world and it's all about how to uh, do I inspire them unleash their creativity how do I get them across nine world leading cruise line brands to communicate coordinate and collaborate together because if we listen effectively to the marketplace, our guests will tell us what we need to do to exceed their expectations. And if I listen to my employees and get them focused and organized, my associates, my fellow team members, uh, and and get them, you know, to really communicate with each other then they'll figure out how to exceed those guest expectations in a sustained way. So we have, we're, we're everything. You know, we're a hotel, we're entertainment, we're dining, we're food, we're maritime, we're technical, um, we're sports, we're, we're everything. We're a city at sea with 83 million passengers cruise days a year. And so with all that diversity, there's so many areas. So I focus on the one primary thing inspire my people, unleash the creativity that they have.
1: And in one way, I, I imagine you're a landlord, too. You said 140 countries.
0: 140 plus, yeah.
1: And because you, you have cruise ships operating all over the world, and your workers, they don't go home <laughs> at the end of the day, go to bed, and then commute into work either, right? So what, right. what kind of challenges uh, does that present? Um, what kind of, I guess, creative human resources uh, strategies do you put into place? For example, you put somebody who had a human resources background in charge Absolutely. of one of the
0: cruise lines. I sure did. So Orlando Ashford, um he came out of Marsh McClellan, big um, uh, human resources, human talent uh, consulting company. Uh, and Orlando runs our Holland America Lines. And, and Orlando uh, has brought to our team a competency in um, human resources, human talent, acquisition, motivation, development, sustainment. And so as I look on my teams, I purposefully engineer diversity on the team.
1: So why did you do that in that case specifically? Put Uh, put an HR specialist in charge of a a product area? Because a lot of companies don't do it. Xerox did it uh, in in a really creative move that got them out of a rut at one point. But a lot of companies don't promote up from human resources to that top executive level.
0: Well I do a lot of things a lot of companies don't do but primarily it's because I purposefully intentionally engineer diversity on the team and and I engineer inclusion and why? Innovation at its core is diversity of thinking so if you want diversity of thinking, if you want innovation we have to have it to sustain the business over time. If you really want innovation you need to have a diverse team of people a diverse team of people organized around a common objective, talented people with a work process to work together, inclusion, equal voice, equal opportunity, uh, equal reward, with, with, you know, with that kind of an opportunity, well, I'll solution a homogeneous team every time. So when I looked at my team, I said, what competencies or skills am I missing on this team? I need somebody steeped in HR, I need somebody steeped in finance, I need somebody steeped in marketing, I need somebody steeped in digital marketing, I need someone. And so when you engineer that leadership team with these diverse backgrounds, experiences, et cetera, and then personal diverse backgrounds, you know, not, not just professional competencies, but also professional competencies. But I have someone that grew up in communist Eastern Europe. You know, I have someone who doesn't have a college degree. Hey, Tell me about that. Well, our leader for our carnival brand, our namesake brand, um, is a very talented, highly successful woman with a long track record of success who happens not to have a college degree. I want that on my team because she thinks differently than people who have all gone through the whole college process. There's a subtle difference there, and I and want that of diversity that of thinking. It
1: has to do with understanding the customer in your various brands and the customer who you're trying to attract to not uh, appear to be out of reach?
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. First of all, listen to, in our case, the guests. Like our customer is our guest. To listen to our guests because it's all about them. If we exceed their expectations, all things are possible. If we don't, it doesn't matter what else we do. So having have a diverse group of people because our guests are all diverse. I said our people are from 140 countries. Our guests are from more countries than that. We go to 700 ports around the world, most beautiful places in the world. But we have guests from all over the world, and uh, and so we have to be able to hear them, so we can give them what they're on vacation. If we give them what they want, they'll be happy, mm. and if they're happy, we'll do well.
1: Let's dig into your background, because you weren't going on a lot of vacations growing up.
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> Ninth I wasn't. Ward, New Orleans, yeah, right?
1: Um, starting in the time of segregation. Yeah. Tell me about um, how you started in your mind to imagine a career path. And I yeah. believe at the school that you went to, there were nine words that yeah. would play Very good. over the, the PA three, yeah. times, a three day times a day yeah. that you still remember. hadn't yeah, Those
0: time. words were, gentlemen, prepare yourselves, you're going to run the world. And, and it was strange because we're an all black, all boys, Catholic high school um, in a time of segregation. Separate water fountains, separate bathrooms. Our high school sports teams couldn't play the majority schools in sports. Our band couldn't march in Mardi Gras parades, okay? And um, so our school actually went to court, went to the Supreme Court of Louisiana, and um, integrated high school athletics. In fact, there's an acknowledgment of it in the uh, Smithsonian National African American Museum about the high school's efforts to integrate sports and other things in Louisiana. And so it was very empowering because even though I grew up during that time, it was also a time of change. It was the late 60s and we had great leaders, Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X. You know, so things were in a sea of change. So, and now school was reinforcing, forget what society is telling you. Forget that you can't do, you are less than. Forget all that. You can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be if you prepare. Vince Lombardi was an old quote from Vince Lombardi. It's not the will to win. It's the will to prepare to win. Hmm. And so the idea is, you know, if you know what you want to do and you prepare, you have the discipline to prepare, you can do anything you want to do. And so they instilled that in us and, and they lived it. I mean, we had national debate, national debate team champions, national math contest championship teams. The band was one of the best bands in the South. It's still a Mardi Gras icon now. <laughs> uh, the sports teams were unbeaten, basketball, football, et cetera. Uh, and so all of that, you know, they reinforced it with actual results. So we bought into it. So I did junior in high school. I decided I was going to be a general manager in a Fortune 50, science-based, global company.
1: That's very specific
0: exactly. for yeah. a
1: junior in high school. Absolutely. Even a very sharp one. Yeah. How, how did How did you settle on that very specific target? Was there a person who you looked at and said, I want to pursue something like that, like they did? Was there a teacher who helped you to... <laughs>
0: Nobody in my family was in business or anything, so uh, two answers to that question. One is I have no idea how I arrived at that, and two is I had no idea what it was when I said it (laughs) because there was no way I could really comprehend it. But what happened was I read a lot, and even as a little kid I did a lot of reading and stuff, and so I'm sure it was an accumulation of reading. And then I'm sure that, you know, the administrators and faculty at the school you know, put thoughts in my head and they brainwashed me into the thing and I wanted to do that. But the the important thing is, I then mapped out a plan to do it. And I prepared to do it and I executed the plan. At age 32, I was a general manager, I was a vice president in a science-based Monsanto company, global,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: you know, Fortune 100, 150, you know, um, uh, company. And, And I achieved it at the age of 30, but I mapped out the plan and I executed the plan. And uh, I'm not saying people should live their life that way. It's how I did mine, and it worked for me.
1: <clears throat> the statistics show that the best uh, predictor of success for yeah. students uh, and, and the level of education they'll attain is parental education level. <laughs> but <laughs> there are all kinds of exceptions yes. to that. When you look at immigrant communities, Absolutely. when you look at the black community that came up you know, during that time period. Yeah. My mom uh, was, you know, ended up going to graduate school at, at Pratt Institute oh, wow. after doing undergrad uh-huh. uh, at, at Memphis State. Her mom didn't finish high school. Right.
0: right.
1: What does that tell us about how we prepare children today for the challenges of tomorrow, the importance of mindset versus just demographics?
0: It's all about mindset. You know, my parents, neither one had the opportunity to do more. You know, my mom and dad had eighth grade educations. My father, in fact, they both grew up in a little town in Comet, Louisiana. When he was growing up, he had no school to go to. Mm. Education stopped him at eighth grade because there was nowhere for a black kid to go to school. Um, And my mom was in a similar, she was eight years younger, but a similar situation. And so they didn't have, you know, big educations but they believed in education. And they believed that their children could have a much better life if they had one. And they insisted, I'm the baby of the family, I'm the baby, I love me. There's, <laughs> there's five of us um, by birth, and um, all of my siblings went to college. Um, several of them got you know, graduate degrees and so on, although my mom and dad didn't even have high school degrees. And so it is a mindset. And, um, but that's not, you know, it's not average maybe, but it's not unique, right. uh, like you mentioned immigrants and lots of other folks. And you know, the, the reality is there is opportunity. And um, in our society especially, it can be challenging. Sometimes it's hard to connect with the opportunity, but there is opportunity. And so for me, I went to that high school on scholarship. My mom and dad couldn't afford to have me go there. So they scraped money together for one year. And then after that, I went the rest of the time in the high school, I was on scholarship. So now my wife and I, you know, we, we have scholarships at the school, we have scholarships at the universities, we attended that, we we fund. Um, because it's important, you know, if people hadn't created opportunity for me, you know, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you. And I think it's important that, you know, I do the same.
1: I want to take that mindset thread through to the career level. You started mm-hmm. your career, or really accelerated it, at Monsanto. Yes. Um, that's the Fortune 50 company, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was not Fortune 50, but yeah. And yeah. Now, now it's gone because now it's buyer. They bought it for right. 60-something billion. Yeah.
1: So what were the skills that you put together as <laughs> you know a, a young worker yeah. in this corporate giant yeah. who has goals of getting way ahead but maybe not the built-in role models, at least not in yeah. your immediate community, to know how to do that? Yeah. Um, maybe what were some of the mistakes you made? Sure. And some of the big moments.
0: Okay, so um, uh, candidly, the first thing was having a purpose. So I'd done enough reading and been educated, gone to you know um, good undergraduate schools. I had two undergraduate degrees. that was part of my plan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then was was um, at the University of Chicago Graduate School of Business. And I realized, early on from reading and stuff that the prime directive of any capitalistic, um, publicly traded company in a capitalist society is maximize return to shareholders of the life of the firm. Okay? So the prime directive is maximize return to shareholders. So I looked at my job that way. Huh. I didn't look at my job as pleasing my boss. I didn't look at my job as who am I going to network with. I didn't look at my job. I look at how am I, in the role I have, going to visibly maximize return to shareholders. How do you do that? I started out on a sales job. I had an account um, that I was assigned. Actually, it was given to me because the account was failing. That's a whole other story. <laughs> it was the largest account in the region, uh. and the account was failing. And um, and I thought, my job is for our shareholders. What's going to make sense for our shareholders? We retain this account, and it's profitable. That's my job. Yeah. Why I have it and why it's failing and stuff, I need to understand why it's failing. i got to fix that. That's my job. It was given to me because my boss was really upset that... They had sent me up there and moved another guy he had trained out. He had had one African-American that worked for him before, a guy named Harold Nickelberry. And the guy, he called him Nick. Nick had worked for him for three months, got a better job offer from somebody else, and left. Uh-huh. He had a replacement guy that came in. They moved that guy out because I wouldn't only take the job with the company if it was in Chicago because I would to go to University of Chicago Graduate School of Business. So he's like, you moved somebody out. I'm trained two people. Now you're giving to somebody else. I'm losing this account. Forget you guys. So he really didn't like me.
1: So he gave you a, a mission that was doomed to fail. He
0: gave me a mission that was doomed to fail. And, by the way, he called me Nick. He would not call me by my name. Mm. And so I could have complained and said, oh, my gosh, this guy's a racist. He's this and that. My job was I've been, I have an account. What's going to help the shareholders? So that's really how I thought about it. And I went through, I won't bore you with it, but I went through, and I saved the account. At the moment when it was clear, I was saving the account and it was gonna be profitable for us. Um, He came to make, that's the first time he made a call with me, because he thought we were gonna be kicked out that day. (laughs) And the senior buyer with the president of the company, he called in to hear the presentation, because it was that insightful. Um, He said, that's why we hired Arnold. It's the first time he called me by my name and that man became like a father to me Wow! after that we became very close so there's a whole lot of lessons in that number one it wasn't about me he was frustrated with the company okay number two when he saw i was really going to make a difference all that other stuff went out the window it all happened because i focused on the right thing not the personalities not the stuff that was going on i focused on Prime directive, maximize return for the shareholders. This is one of the best lessons I had early in my life. So from then on, I just focused on that. So that's number one. Number two is listen. You just got to listen. And, and people that you think are undermining you or against you, especially listen to them. Don't do what they say, but hear them. That's what I haven't heard before. Engage with them.
1: So I want, I want to dig deeper on that one because yeah. a lot of people will say, if somebody treats you like that, mm-hmm. then you can't ever trust them. You say he became like a father
0: to you. Oh, no, he became like a father.
1: I guess that means you were able to understand something about him and what motivated him and why he acted that way that allowed you to get over what you suspected his motivation might have been when he was undermining you.
0: Right. How do you get Because It's easy to assign motivation to behavior. And when you do that, you're assigning it. That may not really be the motivation. Hmm. Okay. So the reality was he apologized to me right after the call. Uh, and he said, You know what? I am so sorry. He said, I've been an idiot and I've been a jerk and I really want to apologize. I'm just so upset and everything. And you really have done an unbelievable job here and blah, blah, blah. And so, and so you know, that softened everything immediately. Uh, and then he really looked out for me after that. But it's not just him, it's people who really were trying to undermine me, you know, at different times. And you meet with them to say, Okay, what about me is triggering this reaction in you? Okay? Not like I'm arguing with it or saying it shouldn't, but, but because I want to learn about me. Maybe it's something I can change, and I should change. Why do I want to go around upsetting people? Maybe it's something I can't change or I don't want to change. But now the power is in me because I know what it is. Mm. And so, you know, there's no need to attack people. No matter what happens, people are going to say things about you. <laughs> you could be great. You could be not great. It doesn't matter. And people are going to say things. Just because they say things doesn't make it true good or bad right. <laughs> and so the reality is you, know, you just need to understand and then you get to make the choice and so and you can learn from something from almost anybody even the people who are really trying to undermine you the most you can learn things from them that you can use to make yourself better
1: um. I'm gonna carry that one for a while. Yeah. That's uh, that's something to chew on. <laughs> I want to talk about the future of work, yes. how it's changing, and, and technology, how yeah. it's changing both the way your employees work oh, yeah. and what your guests, yeah. I'll try to remember not to call them customers for you, <laughs> what your guests expect. Right. Um, there's talk about artificial intelligence, yeah. but when people
0: yeah.
1: get an experience like a cruise, yeah. I feel like the people they interact with, the way they're treated by people, whether the employees appear to enjoy being there, has a bigger effect than than the app that they're on. How much of an impact do you expect technology to have on maximizing your return to shareholders in the future versus how your people are prepared to, to interact within this technologically infused environment?
0: You're right on John. For us, we're a hospitality business. Whenever people come back from a cruise and they talk about it, they talk about the people or the memorable moments. It's the crew with the guest interaction, guests with guest interaction, guests with local interaction destinations. That's what it's all about. But just like in your everyday life, like your phone. Your, your phone has probably enhanced your relationship building with a number of people people you're able to maintain contact with, maybe even FaceTime with, that in the past you wouldn't have been able to, and it have been harder to maintain those relationships. And so for us, technology is an enabler. It's not about the technology. It's about how is it going to help us deliver that hospitality in a more powerful, even more meaningful way. And that's what it's all about for us. What's an example
1: of a way that that um, you're doing that with technology?
0: Weather is our, our big one, of course, is our OT platform, which is Ocean. So it's a holistic thing, and and basically uh, it's a wearable, a little disc that is basically like a license plate, but it allows you to do everything, so many things. You can walk onto a port on the ship if you have kids with you, and instantly you will see where your kids are on the ship, okay? Uh, You order a drink. First of all, every crew member knows your name because they identify you with that disc. Your photo pops up. They know who you are. They know what you order, your background, everything on the ship, and they'll ask you, uh, you order a drink, or they may suggest, I see you had a... Martini last time, would you like that again? You want a different, you know, vodka and whatever? Nice. And so all that happens. Uh, but then you walk away, you know, while they're getting the drink. The drink will come to you <laughs> wherever you are, okay? So all of that is just to make the experience personalized for you. And it's to enhance our crew's ability to deliver, you know, beyond your expectation, service and hospitality. And, and that's what it's all about. So the technologies incorporate Artificial intelligence and machine learning. They want to become predictive. They want to have the crew to be able to say, Oh, I see you're still engaged in conversation this morning here at breakfast. You had a yoga class scheduled in five minutes. Would you like us to um, uh, cancel that for you, or you still would like to make it? Mm. To make your experience as complete as possible. And then from the track of what you've done that week, say, I see you frequently gone to these different types of shows, I want you to know we have a special show coming up tomorrow night. You might be interested, okay? Okay. And and so that's the value of the technology, it just allows you to deliver more of what you want to deliver as a human being to another human being.
1: Sometimes there's a disconnect between the ideas people, who have an idea about what technology can do, and the technical people. Who might spend a little bit too much time in front of the screen and maybe not understand what the guest wants. Right. But you can find people who who bridge that. Right. When you're looking for, you know, a, a chief information officer, a CIO, yeah. a CTO, yeah. for an industry like yours, which is so high touch, yeah. what are the skills that you're looking for? What would you suggest that uh, technical people who want to operate in that kind of role in the future, what skills they need to build up?
0: Ability to listen an ability to observe. Um, a quick example is with Ocean one of the things is uh, you don't need a key or anything for your door. Your door to your cabin recognizes you. So a disabled person goes up, they're coming from the beach, um, they're in a wheelchair or whatever, you know the door opens for them. They don't have to dig for a car, they've got you know, beach clothes in their hand. It's for anybody really, it's got a lot of stuff in their hand and, and the door opens for them. So when they first talked about magic doors I was like, why? You know, why would you want a magic door? What's the point? Okay. And they said, well, let me show you what happens with people when they get to their cabin door. They've got beach blankets, they've got this, the person in, in, the, in the cart, you know, uh, if they're disabled a bit or, you know, all that. And then they show you what happens and you realize, wow, if, if that door actually did, you know, open, where well, all they have to do is push it a little bit and it opens, that really would make a change in the quality of their experience. Huh. And so it's people who can listen and observe things that matter to people.
1: Uh, how do you handle, and this comes from a question uh, that Cheryl sent in, who's, who's viewing, how do you handle nerves? People who are going on a cruise for the first time, <laughs> they might be nervous. Uh-huh. They saw news stories years ago, but, but that they associate that w- w- with cruise. Uh, are there things that you put in place? for their experience, are there things that you would recommend they do ahead of time if they've already booked?
0: Yeah. I think if someone's already booked, they're going to be well taken care of because we have so many navigators and welcomers, uh, and then they're going to meet so many other people who have cruised multiple times. Uh, they're, so if, they're, if they've gotten to that point, they're going to be okay. Um, it's the people that hear the myths and are afraid to book those are the ones where we have the greater challenge to get them to really understand. Well, you know, as you know, we have our own digital network. We have, you know, five TV shows here in the States and two on ABC, one on NBC, one on Telemundo, one on Univision. And we've got two shows in the UK, ITV, et cetera. So, you know, we try to soften the beachhead by communicating crews in in different ways. Um, But basically what we try to do is make sure the travel professionals, you know, are equipped to be able to talk people through the typical myths about, I'm going to get seasick. I'm worried that it's a disease, you know, uh, a Petri dish. I'm worried, you know, and, uh, because there's none of those things. And now, it's possible somebody could get seasick, but not, you know, the vast majority of people, the ships are large. There's so many easy, you know, accommodating things you can do to make sure you, you don't get seasick, even if you happen to be hypersensitive. But people don't know that. And so they need others that they trust, whether it's a travel professional or someone else who's cruise, um, to share that with them. We even have one blogger um, that put out a thing that they were really worried, and so they showed all the stuff they brought for seasickness, and they did a whole thing. They put it into a wrap, actually. And, and, they, and they showed at the end that they had all the stuff because they didn't need it. And, and they get car sick on long car trips and stuff. They right. said, so I just didn't need it. And so, you know, there's no guarantee but even if you feel that we have doctors right on board and there's easy things to do. So it, that's more of the challenge, but once they're there, there's so many people to assist. You know, Our helpful crew, um, other guests who have sailed before, um, it's, it, they'll be fine.
1: And I, I can attest I went on a cruise a couple years hey. ago for the first time and uh, great experience would definitely do it again thank the you. fact that you can jump off in so many places, places. And get in, yeah. it's fantastic Arnold, it's
0: the one destination i'll take you everywhere <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining me out for it it's, it's a pleasure here. man thank, thank you sure. very much
1: I'm John Fort from CNBC, and this has been Fort Knox, Rich Ideas and Powerful People. Subscribe wherever fine podcasts are distributed, check out the reviews on iTunes, leave me a note. Also, subscribe to the Fort Knox channel on YouTube, F-O-R-T-T-K-N-O-X dot com slash YouTube. As a matter of fact, you can go to YouTube now and see video of this conversation. Or you can go to the CNBC apps on Apple TV or Amazon Fire TV and find Fort Knox in the featured area. And if that's not enough, follow me, John Fort, on Facebook and Twitter. Weigh in on the issues we discussed here. And on LinkedIn, follow me and subscribe to the Fort Knox series. Meanwhile, share this. Tell a friend. Drop me a note on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or Fortnox.com. And as always, thank you for lending an ear. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do.